0: People from China are buying big homes in the U.S. For real estate, it's very personal business. And they're paying cash. They want someone who can trust. Who they trust?
1: They trust me. An immigrant from the Czech Republic became a lawyer, investor, and export control director. Where would she invest today? I would say Brazil.
2: They are growing. They're investing a lot of money now. Brazil is one of the countries where I would invest.
1: And where would she not invest?
2: Russia. At this moment, it would be Russia.
1: <laughs> Why do kids give up on
3: playing a musical instrument? Because the parents or the teachers choose the instrument for them. But if they pick the instruments that they have affinity for, there's a higher chance that they will stick with that instruments until they
1: are an adult. This is the Language of Business, a weekly podcast designed to inform and inspire entrepreneurs and anyone thinking about a startup. Learn about strategies that work and strategies that don't work. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. On this episode, we look at foreign investment in the US. Here's Greg Stoller.
4: Thanks, Don. If you buy a lot of stuff from a particular country, should you eventually purchase property there? That's exactly what's happening in the US now in reverse. People from China, the world's factory for most of us, are aggressively purchasing U.S. properties and paying in cash. Derek Wong is helping make that happen. He's a real estate broker here in Quincy, Massachusetts, just south of Boston. And Derek, welcome to the Language of Business. Thank you very much. How old were you when you first came to the United States?
0: I was uh, 22 when I finished my high school in Canada. But I grew up in Hong Kong. Then I came here and I got admitted into Northeastern University.
4: How much time did it take for you to eventually become a real estate agent?
0: Senior year, I was not even graduate yet. I tried real estate during my spring break. I got my license and I got my first sale in seven days. When I got that deal, I know I belong in this field.
4: What has surprised you about the real estate market in the United States and in particular in Boston and Massachusetts? I have buyers who are very wealthy.
0: I think they want to buy in the USA Is it a hedge, or are they doing it for long-term investment? It's more like a diversification. As you know, in finance, diversification eliminates unique risk. You cannot put all the eggs in one basket. Also, they don't really care about much appreciation. Appreciation in USA can never match in Asia, but they want to put it in more like a safe harbor, and they know that the rental income is much higher than China and Hong Kong. Are they making that decision as an investment, to actually live in or to retire in? They buy expensive properties. A lot of them buy, let's say 20 units, 30 units, 50 units. Right now I'm working with a couple of them. They can go up to 20 million $30 million. They want to buy about 50 units, 40 units. Those they can buy anytime.
4: And who's gonna manage that for them, especially if they live in mainland China? Me. (laughs) So you offer services not only in brokerage, but also in property management.
0: Yes, because they're in China right now. Who they trust, they trust me. Even with the internet, the dot-com, I think for real estate, it's very personal business. They want someone who can trust. Who they trust? They trust me. Because real estate, you still have to deal with so many tedious things. You have to deal with tenants, maintenance, insurance, landscaping. They still need a person or a company that you can trust.
4: How do you deal with a different corporate culture in China when it comes to profitability versus a different corporate culture
0: here in terms of a young property developing over time? The cap rate here is much higher than China. China or Hong Kong, you may get 1% or 2%. Here, Boston, right now, if we get 7%, is excellent for Boston. Is that 7% on a resale, or is that a 7%
4: return on investment every year? The net rental income after the expenses. As a percentage of what they paid for the That's property. That's
0: correct, yes. Why do so many mainland Chinese buyers purchase in cash? They don't have credit here. The banks will not give them any financing. But already have one bank. If the Chinese investors or institution players they invest 50%, the bank will give them 50% of the mortgage.
4: But if a Chinese buyer buys in cash, the return on equity has to be worse than if they got a bank loan.
0: They only say, I don't need any mortgages. I have some buyers, they say, I still want mortgages. They want to establish the credit. They also want to use the leverage where they can get. Even though they have so much money, as you know, smart buyers, they always like to have leverage. Leverage makes you go bigger and bigger. What do Chinese buyers look for in properties? Chinese buyers always like good names. Right now, they start to come to Boston more because of Harvard University. When they talk about Boston, they know Harvard University. More buyers are coming to this way. I think New York is getting too expensive. Meanwhile, our rental income is strong, and our cap rate may be even higher than New York.
4: In China, there are very specific cultural do's and don'ts. Fear of the number four, being in love with the number eight, not buying property that's near a cemetery. Yes. How much of that is practiced in the United States
0: versus only in mainland China? I think it's quite common. A lot of Chinese buyers, they say anybody commit suicide in this house, they ask those questions. They care about it. I will care, too. You don't feel comfortable when you sleep at night. How about feng shui? Does that come up a lot in the United States? Yes. Institution players, when they buy one block of building, they don't care that much more. They know it's only for investment. Do you have any Americans who are
4: looking to purchase property in China as a hedge?
0: No. I've never met those people yet. But I know one day I want to retire in China or Hong Kong.
4: If you had to give your clients one piece of advice about doing business in the United States, what would it be?
0: By Willis with v Realty. <laughs> That's a very good answer.
4: <laughs> Derek, thank you. Thank you.
1: Derek Wong, the owner of v Realty here in Quincy,
4: Massachusetts.
1: Coming up, software from Singapore that can help preschoolers learn to play a musical instrument. And stick with it, because they get to choose which instrument they want to play. But first, an immigrant from the Czech Republic who came to the U.S. as an au pair and wound up as a lawyer and investor... As the language of business continues, Dr. Greg.
4: Thanks, Don. She came to the United States from the Czech Republic over a decade ago to be an au pair and never left. Along the way, she taught herself English, put herself through both college and law school, and even managed to pass the bar on the very first try. Think you could pull off the same feat? Marie Kladakova, welcome to the language of business.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
4: So what caused you to come to the United States to begin with?
2: After graduating from high school, I took a few years off to work, travel, and figure out if college is the best way for me to go. And as part of that plan, I came to the U.S. under a State Department-funded program, au pair program, and I thought that it was a great way to experience the U.S. culture under a government program. And I stayed ever since. As you said, I loved it.
4: Did you ever intend to stay permanently?
2: I did not, know, but after a few months of living in the U.S., I came to really like the U.S. culture, the way of life, and the overall attitude that people in the U.S. have. And I decided that this was a great place to be. I decided to go to business school and eventually to law school. And those decisions I never regretted, so yes, it was great.
4: The U.S. markets itself as being the land of opportunity, has that always been the case for you?
2: Yes, but the climate is changing. It is much more difficult for young people to find a job, start a new career, but I do think that it is a great place to be and you can actually make it happen if you work hard enough. And look at me. I came here with one suitcase, $100 in my pocket, and graduated from two schools. And I have a great job that I consider to be a great job. So I think that, you know, there are many opportunities. America is still the land of many opportunities. And if you look at it, many big companies started and successful companies started by immigrants that either came here to pursue education or other opportunities. So, yes, you can still make it, but you have to be ready to work hard and maybe work much harder than everybody else.
4: Do you ever miss the Czech Republic?
2: I miss my friends and my family, and Czech Republic is a great place to visit on vacation, but I do consider Massachusetts my home now. I've been here for many years, and so if I considered accepting another assignment overseas, it would probably be either another country or another continent, but I do keep my options open and I would consider it if the right opportunity came along.
4: Let's talk about your professional credentials. Mm -hmm. How would you characterize the best and worst aspects of a long-term assignment overseas?
2: It depends on your personal goals and experiences, and I think that there are several factors that everybody or people that are considering overseas assignments should definitely consider. One of them is expectations from the beginning, and there are a couple of questions you should actually ask yourself before accepting an overseas assignment. One of those would be, have you ever lived abroad, even on a short-term basis? Do you know anybody that somebody that did and did you talk to them? Did you do your research? I mean, moving into a new country requires a high degree of change. You have to be adaptable to new environments. And I feel that ultimately you will fail if you move here from Europe or another country. And if you continue thinking the old way, if you continue to compare and contrast how things are done over there, how things are done over here. The most successful people I find is that they pick the best of both worlds combine them but ultimately if you want to live and stay in the US you have to start thinking like Americans
4: are you talking entrepreneurially or something else
2: in a business sense you have to adapt to the new business culture of course business is done differently in Czech Republic than in the US and in many other countries so you sort of have to adapt but even in social settings you know it, it takes a while to get the American way of life and everything takes a little bit longer but at the same time it's easier I think that Europe is unnecessarily complicated. We have too many rules that are sometimes difficult to follow. So I think that overall U.S. is more user-friendly, if you will, as a country, but business is done differently and you have to adapt.
4: What do you consider to be the most difficult aspect of doing business in the United States?
2: People in the U.S are almost on a schedule you have a lot of meetings boom 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 things get done very quickly whereas in the czech republic things take a little bit longer you have to develop relationships you will have a lot more meetings to get something accomplished than in the us you will have to do a lot more communications in czech republic but ultimately we're not that much different
4: You've spent a lot of time counseling companies on export compliance and the ways to do business either locally or internationally. Has your own experience been a plus?
2: Absolutely. I think that it always helps if you have people or meet people and work with people who have work and living experience from other countries. My experience was particularly helpful when I had clients that were interested in expanding in Eastern Europe or the Czech Republic and I counseled companies um, across all industry sectors, exporting products or technologies all over the world. And I can tell you that the most successful companies are those that think long-term because overseas partners are not going to want to work with you if you, your motivations are not long-term motivations. Companies that spend a lot of resources, took the time to learn about other cultures, other business environments, developed good working partnerships. So it's, it's important that companies consider those aspects as well.
4: Which is easier, exporting from the United States or importing from another country here?
2: exporting from the United States, that is much easier. The U.S. government has a number of resources that can help companies with exporting overseas. And I think that we make it in many ways easier. Our export controls make it slightly more difficult, but Europeans and other countries have the same export controls. So many people complain about export controls, but I think that if you look at it globally, uh, we're not that much different, but we make exporting easier than importing for sure.
4: If you could choose one country to invest in?
2: I would say Brazil. They are growing. They're investing a lot more, a lot of money now. Overall, I think that Brazil is one of the countries where I would invest.
4: And one country to stay away from?
2: Russia. At this moment, it would be Russia.
4: (laughs) Talk to us about becoming a U.S. citizen.
2: Well, it's an exciting proposition, of course. As I was living here under a green card, I wanted to participate actively in community in the voting process, and I couldn't do that without being a citizen. And so I took the test, I took my oath, and I'm proud to be a U.S. citizen now.
4: Good for you. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Marie Kladakova, export and import compliance and trade expert and proud U.S. citizen.
1: Still to come, the software program that can help preschoolers learn to play a musical instrument and stick with it, because they get to choose which instrument they want to play. Next, on The Language Business. Our sponsor is art lifting if you have a small business or even if you run a fortune 500 company you can uplift the look of your office with art lifting art lifting has over 1300 artworks in a variety of styles and prices you can buy them or rent them and switch them up on a rotation every month or so but wait there's more all of the Art Lifting art is by artists who are homeless or dealing with disabilities. So you not only brighten and uplift your office, you're helping local communities across the USA. To learn more and view the collection, go to artlifting.com. You're listening to the Language of Business. Once again, Greg Steller. Thanks, Don. Creativity, collaboration, and character strengths. Sounds like the
4: contents of a typical corporate boardroom poster, Right. Well, not necessarily. Ask Titus Young that question and you will probably be surprised with his answer. He's in the United States this week from Singapore and Titus, welcome to the Language of Business. Thank you for inviting me. Your company is Ingenio and tell us a little bit about what the company produces.
3: We produce a program called Mumba Music and it is a program that is used by young children to learn about creativity through music. So our business model revolves around creating content that we train the teachers to use in the licensing model. So is this a teach the teacher type approach? Exactly. And what exactly are you teaching them? We encourage children to learn music from a young age because the research shows that if the children learns music, they can become more creative. And is this your research or is this third-party research? Uh, this is research? third-party research. Okay.
4: And when you say they're learning music, are they
3: learning how to play an instrument? The objective of the program is to expose them to multiple instruments, but for practical reasons we only really teach them drums and the digital piano keyboard. But through the digital games, they are able to be exposed to a variety of orchestral instruments. And at the end of the one year program, they are able to pick an instrument that they like. And we think that one of the reasons why children give up on learning an instrument is because the parents or the teachers choose the instrument for them. But if they pick the instruments that they have affinity for, there's higher chance that they will stick with their instruments until they have become an adult. So your software isn't meant to
4: replace playing an instrument, but is actually a precursor or an introduction to multiple instruments that they can then choose exactly the
3: ones they like. Yep. In fact, nowadays we have a lot of digital softwares that the people can compose music in, and we want them to get a feel for using software and that they don't feel that instruments and software are two different things that they can really mesh together and create really fantastic music.
4: Is this created only in Singapore or do
3: you have outside input into the approach, et cetera? Uh, Well, we have to practice what we preach, (laughs) which is creative collaboration. And I think to date we have more than two dozen people from eight different countries who have helped us shape this product.
4: Are all of these people located in Singapore? Do you collaborate over the internet? Do you fly around to each of the locales to check in with them,
3: how does that work? Well, we try to limit the cross-country flying. So we usually use uh, the internet for us to communicate, Skype, video, and sometimes uh, they might be in Singapore already and uh, we hire them. And is this for-profit or not-for-profit? It's for-profit, although we operate on a social model. This means that for schools that are from an affluent place, we will charge them the, the usual rate, but uh, for schools that are charitable, we offer them a, a big discount.
4: And is the software
3: for all kids, with kids with special needs? It's generally for all kids, for regular kids, although we do have children who are autistic, taking the program, and the objective of the program is not for them to learn a musical skill, but for them to learn how to collaborate, how to help, uh, to socialize with other friends and interact with music as a medium. Music as a medium and digital platform as a medium. Because autistic children typically do not naturally interact like this. Sure. So they don't look at each other in the eye. So what we're trying to do is that we have a party medium where our multiple children look at it together. It's less intimidating for the students. Nowadays, kids like digital things, they like to interact over hardware, Uh, they like animation. And we have managed to weave in what parents want, which is to teach them character strengths. So in our program, we feature about 20 different character strengths through the cartoon. Interesting. Are you selling direct or are you going through distributors? Going through distributors. In fact, if you know somebody who might be interested to distribute these products, give us a call. We'd love to hear from them. We started off the beginning of our
4: discussion talking about Character, collaboration, creativity. Why did you choose
3: those three words? I started my career teaching adults, running corporate training programs, and these are the skills that are very necessary in an innovation-led economy. We felt that there is a need to get children to be in this mindset. And I think in the United States, you have this thing called, uh, like a program for 21st century education. Yes. And uh, these are exactly the types of skill sets that we would like to foster in children from a young age. Do you do any corporate training? Yes, we run innovation programs in Singapore and in Asia Pacific. And we try to get people to think about personal innovation, how you can be creative personally, and how to form collaboration and have team innovation. Titus, thank you. You're most welcome.
4: Titus Yong founder and entrepreneur for ingenio the creators of moomba music
1: thanks greg and that's our episode this week you can find links to all the people and companies we've interviewed on the show notes we now have downloads in 43 countries welcome to the russian federation and 33 states plus dc thank you for the support if you subscribe and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, it'll be a huge help. Our director is Mark Mandel. Social media by Jennifer Powell of excellentwriters.com. Consulting producer is Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Audio editing and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.